welcome to Coming Up for Air, the Allies in Recovery podcast, with hosts Laurie McDougall, Kayla Solomon, and Dominique Simone Levine. Okay, ladies. So I have something I'm hoping we can talk about today because this theme keeps coming up in all of my rest meetings, as well as kind of any interaction that I'm having with a, with a lot of different families. And so I'm hoping we can really talk about this today. I keep hearing over and over and over again, well, my loved one's behavior, I'm seeing indications that maybe there's a recurrence or you know, something unsavory is going on. But I know, according to Kraft, I'm not supposed to confront them. So I don't say anything and I, I just let it go. What you're saying is you don't do anything about it. You just tiptoe around it and you let the elephant be in the room and you don't say anything about what's going on. To me, this is an indication of a lot of family members when they start off with Kraft, they get the concept of non, you know, trying to be non-confrontational, but they don't know how to address the issue without being confrontational. They tend to swing to the other side of it, which is basically tiptoeing around on eggshells and not doing anything at all. So I thought I'd brought I'd bring that up today and kind of get your input and see what you ladies have to say. I know what I'm what I'm doing, but I but I want to hear from you. When you look at the dynamic, even if you're kind and gentle and loving, you're often going to get defensiveness or an aggressive response to yourself. So that shuts us down from doing anything. So let's just be clear about that. We're not talking that even if you do it right, that you're going to get, you know, beautiful roses in response to you, to what you're saying. But what we want to do is start practicing forms of communication that are effective and not accusatory and and really just clear and non-judgmental. And I, I like to think of it as data, you know, that that what we're talking about is data. So what happens is we're often looking at the data and then we make the extrapolated comment. So it's like, are you getting, you know, what we see the data is, you know, your eyes are drooping or you know, you're you're slurring your words or whatever. And then we immediately jump to you must be using. And so often what people do is they say, I think you're using because your eyes are are drooping and you're slurring your words. But instead, when we talk about it, to me, I think actually just talking about the data itself is a really good place to start. Like I noticed that your eyes are drooping and you're slurring your words, period. There's actually, I think, a couple of, really important pieces going on in the family member's mind that prevents them from addressing the issue. The family members start to understand that confrontation doesn't do a whole heck of a lot other than cause a a whole bunch of chaos and the loved one becomes defensive and you kind of don't get anywhere. But then what happens is they don't have an alternative to confrontation because they've always confronted in the past. So now it's like it's like this confusion happens. Now what do I do? So everything swings to the other side of it to now we're walking on eggshells and we don't do anything. 
And the other interesting piece about that is there's a lot of advice out there that doing nothing is doing something different. Not doing anything versus being confrontational right now in the moment, especially when you're learning, is is a good thing to do. It's something different to change it up. But I think a lot of family members get stuck in the don't do anything. You now go from confrontational to walking around on eggshells and not saying anything at all. And because you don't know how to address the issue. And there's a few things about addressing the issue that also can be incredibly fearful and a bit of a boulder or an obstacle for families to get over. The first thing is family members don't know how to address their loved one without being confrontational. They equate it to being one and the same thing. And it's not. If you're using good communication skills, you can address it and not be confrontational. The other thing is, I think that family members, that that fear bug rises inside of them anytime they feel, oh, I've got to address this. The fear gets in the way because I'm afraid if I am stating this information, my loved one's only going to get upset and they're going to go and they're going to use or they're going to do something that I really don't want them to do. And so they don't address it Um, without understanding that if you're tiptoeing around on eggshells, that can be just as dangerous as being confrontational. You can tiptoe around on eggshells and not confront it, but that's also not going to change the dynamics in any way that's going to work towards progress. In short, if your loved one is actively using in the moment, you're going to communicate differently You're going to walk into a trap if you try to talk about the drinking and the drugging while they're high, right? So first of all, don't do that. That's the first thing. Leave the elephant in the room for the moment and don't discuss the elephant in the room while they're high Um, because inevitably two things happen. You either get this defensive reaction or you get the denial reaction. You get the finger pointed at you. None of those things end up helping at all. But when it's passed and they've withdrawn in these short little cycles, patterns that you're watching your loved one do in because you've gone through module three and we've, we've trained your eye to find these patterns, you now know when your loved one is high and you want to be careful about anything said during that time. You really just want to back yourself out. You want to remove any rewards and allow natural consequences Backing yourself out is removing the biggest reward, which is you, even if you're about to slam them for drinking, right? In the past, that has been an acceptable behavior for both of you, an acceptable argument to have. And you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to step back. And by stepping back, you're already making a big change. So in this transition from slamming them at the front door when they come home high to seeing the elephant in the room and not saying anything, which isn't passive in that moment. It is strategic, but you do have to loop back around and you do have to find an assertive, gentle, compassionate way to talk about the fact that your loved one came home high 
and late and it scared you to death and so on. And so you would wait until that withdrawal period was passed. If it's cocaine, maybe a day in the darkness of some room where they're trying to sleep off the high of the cocaine and the anxiety and the insomnia and the depression that you get from withdrawing from cocaine. You know, whatever it is, if it's if he's hungover, if she's hungover, you wait till that's passed and then you sit down. And now let's talk about assertive talk. What kinds of things can we say that will bring the situation to the front, out of secrecy, out of darkness. I noticed that your eyes were droopy. I noticed that you smelled of beer last night. So I just said hello and good night and went to bed. Now it's the next afternoon and they're up and they're walking around and, and they've gotten some food in them and they seem to feel better. And you know that by six o'clock, they're going to crack a beer and it's all going to play out again, again in some fashion. Then at about three o'clock, maybe four o'clock, after they've had some food and some coffee, you might say something like, hey, I noticed your eyes were drooping last night and, and you smelled a beer and, and you came home late. And can we talk about this? Because I was so scared. I'm just wondering if we could have a talk at some point, maybe about looking at adding something in to help you cut back on the on the beer. I know you've wanted to, I know you've been trying, but last night was clearly not that. And so what can we do here? You're the communications people, but this is this is how I would strategically set up a conversation first off. And it's based on this first observation that we teach everyone, which is look at your loved one right now. Are they using or are they not? And then go forth and behave in the way that we would suggest. And so communication and confrontation while high, absolutely not. Communication with assertive talk um, that's gentle and, and partnering and respectful, absolutely. But you have to be calm. And you certainly aren't when you greeted them at the door last night when they finally did come through. So you have to spend the, the, the next day till they've completed their little withdrawal to get yourself calm and in a position and maybe a little script. We often recommend actually writing it down and maybe making it in the form of a request. And we have little ways to cue you through an exercise that gets you to a complete request. Can you just say if somebody could find that on the on the site? Yeah, it's at the end of uh, module four. It's the last exercise in module four. And we then give it to you again in module eight, making a request to engage into treatment. So we give you the very same set of questions. We give you an example of an answer so you see what we're getting at. And then the database system throws out a complete script for you without all the questions and cues that we gave you. So you have a nice clean script. And then you just read that a couple of times, get as much of it into your head as you can, focus on the rest of it, the nonverbal, the tone, you know, you really focus on just being calm and collected as best you can before you try to talk. And then you get some version of that script out and it has an ask at the end. The ask is, you know, maybe maybe we look around and see what else we can add into the mix to help you stay cut down on the beer. I also kind of want to piggyback on that because I think this is a perfect example where you need to go back to module four and repeatedly watch the videos and do the exercises and practice, practice, practice that a once through often isn't enough to get all of these concepts down because everything that we're talking about is actually in module four. 
There's discussion in module four about being aggressive with our communication, being passive with our communication and passive aggressive with our communication, but that also there is a piece on being assertive that we don't wanna be aggressive, we don't wanna be passive, we wanna be assertive. And assertive means not being confrontational, saying what you need to say, expressing your needs, expressing your feelings, also setting up nice boundaries without putting someone on the defense, but also not being a doormat and letting someone just walk all over you. So that's covered in there. Also, there's a whole lot of other communication skills that are in there that you can use in your script. So I guess the goal is to inspire people to get creative with the communication skills and try different things out in different areas and really think about how can I apply this skill in my situation that it's not as cookie cutter as you think it is and to try and get as creative as you possibly can with all the different skills, which is why it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for you to get there. And there's one other piece that I'd really, I'd really like to bring up. Both Dominique talked about it and Kayla, you pointed it out very early on in this conversation. Family members, when you're, when you do address an issue and someone in the rest meeting said this last week, and I was like clapping my hands. I was like, yes, yes, this is it. This is it. And we were discussing what's the difference between confrontation and addressing an issue. And someone said, I like to observe the behavior and then I like to state the facts. So in other words, I'm not talking about the person and their character and I'm not begging and pleading, which is no negative talk, right? I'm not trying to manipulate the person and trying to get them to stop anything. I'm stating what I saw, I'm stating the behavior, which are the facts. And then I might use an I feeling statement. I'm concerned, I'm scared. You know, I was putting some laundry away and I happened to notice a whole bunch of bottles of vodka empty in your room. And I noticed the other day that you were stumbling into the house and, you know, had to pull yourself out of the bushes in order to get through the front door. I'm really concerned. I'm scared. Can we sit down and talk about this? All I did was state the facts, didn't say anything about the person, didn't say you're killing me, you're breaking my heart. It's just the deep feeling and the facts of the situation. Yeah, and that's a really important point, I guess, which is why I brought it up so early, because I feel like there's what I call editorializing and assumptions. And that's when the confrontation begins, because if you say it looks like you're depressed or I think you're getting high or you clearly came in high last night, then you're that's confrontation because you're making up a story like somebody could be in their room 12 hours a day and you say, I think you're depressed, then they have something to argue with. So what you want to do is remove the interpretation so that you're just really describing the observation because the observation is really kind of non-negotiable. You could say, it seems like you're spending a lot of time in your room. I'm concerned. Can you tell me about a little bit about what's happening? 
then then that's an invitation as opposed to I think you're depressed. We've all done this. It's like you're angry. And then it's like, I'm not angry. And then people are yelling at you. So it's like nobody wants you to tell them how they're feeling, what they're doing, what might be happening and your story that you're making up based on the facts. So the facts are clear that you're spending a lot more time in your room. I, I'm wondering what's happening for you. I'm concerned. That's different than this is what I think is going on. I also want to bring up another piece that you talked about early on, Kayla, and that is especially when you first start to do this and you're changing up how you're communicating with your loved one, they often don't react the way, like we make this script and it doesn't go the way the script plans. Our loved ones get angry. They're used to being defensive. They get suspicious, like what the heck is this, right? I know you're going to accuse me of something, right? And they're still defensive. So anticipating that, okay, the conversation is might not go well, especially when you're first starting, because maybe you're not good at it and that's okay, right? That's okay. It's okay to come out of that conversation, not with a great response. I'll tell you that as a person who teaches communication and really tries to work with my own, I want you to know that even if you're good at this, it doesn't necessarily go well because you're dealing with the other person and their story and their feelings and their shame and their guilt and their desire to continue doing what they're doing. And so Part of the work of this, and it's funny because I don't know if it's in any of the stuff that we talk about, is being able to self-soothe while you're doing it and not consider yourself successful or a failure based on the reaction that you get. What's happening is you're working on bringing new skills, trying new things, doing trial and error with things, practicing, getting better. And again, like we always say, try this with lots of different people in lots of different scenarios so that you're not just practicing with the most difficult person in your life in this particular way. You want to get more fluid in it so that when somebody comes back at you, even if you're being fabulous, that you're self-soothing, keeping yourself calm and not escalating because you're not getting the response that you want, because that's part of this work. Assume that you're not going to get the response that you want. That's what I always do. And then my job is to kind of have enough tools to navigate through it so that I can keep calm, not make things worse, and then kind of have this observer self watching it to see where it's going off the rails and if there's some modification I can make at that moment, which is an advanced skill set. But the more you do it, the more you're going to be able to do that, which will also reduce the reactivity. Because if you're not reacting badly to their whatever they're doing, defensiveness, attack, whatever, then you can hold your course with this and it will change it anyway. And also, I think it's important if you can't self-soothe, because the self-soothing, it's a really difficult piece to do, especially when I call them darts, when they're throwing darts at you, right? And, and I'm getting pinged all over my body, right? There is nothing wrong with ending the conversation, walking away and make sure and, you know, make sure and say, 
no, we're not ending it and I'm never coming back. We're ending it so I can go and soothe myself so I can come back and be a help in this conversation. And I find oftentimes I will tell that to my loved one and it's almost like I'm talking to myself. So I might say something like, look, I'm really upset right now. And I've had, I've had situations where I'm saying this to my loved one, to my son, and my son will say to me, he'll get that real defensive look on his face because now he's used to me saying, I'm upset because of you. And so he'll look at me and I now say, no, these are my feelings that I got to go work on. This is not your burden. And I say it to him and it's weird. It's, it's almost like not only am I not just saying it to him, I'm saying it to myself. And I have seen the relief on his face and the confusion on his face. Like what? I'm like, yeah, I'm really upset. And this is not for you to figure out. This is for me to go figure out. I'll come back. We'll talk later. And I walk away, calm myself down. And I, I might take a day or so, but I always come back. Hey, you know what? Thanks for giving me the space to kind of calm myself down. I'm not good when, when I got all these emotions going on. Can we have a conversation now about what we were talking about yesterday? Now I'm in a better headspace. So don't be afraid if you're not good at self-soothing in the moment for a while of being able to walk away from the conversation and then coming back when you're in a better headspace until you start building up those skills of self-soothing. I know what you're talking about, Kayla, because I'm much better at it now than I was in the beginning of my journey. Now I've got some really good communication skills and I can really, um, I can use reflective listening to kind of deescalate the situation for myself. I'm just going to say that. That's interesting that you said that because sometimes when somebody is getting heated, what I'll do is I'll say, okay, wait, hold up. I'm just wondering what you heard me say. Because it seems like whatever I said really upset you. And I'm wondering what I said that upset you so much. And so that's a different skill. And then depending on what it is, I get to say, all right, let me do a do-over. And I love do-overs because then I get to do it in a way that it's almost like they they just told me what they're upset about. I get to listen to what I did that didn't work out that well. And I get to say it in a different way. And then it's like literally... We're having a new conversation. Does everybody know what a do-over is? I haven't done that. A lot of do-overs. But I have to tell you, it, it's interesting that you say that because something happened recently. I was talking to my son and he said, it's just like you think, I, I forget what it was. And it's just like you think I'm doing this only because I want to get high. And I was like, oh, geez. Thank you for telling me that, right? Because I need to back this up because that is not the intention of what I'm saying. So I guess I am doing a duo, but now that you told me about this added skill, I'm going to put that in my little toolbox of skills. But typically I use reflective listening, like when my loved one starts throwing darts, like things like, you know, it's your fault or this or that. I just go, okay, so you think it's my fault because of this. I literally repeat it back. And I find that when I do that, oh, you think I'm, I shouldn't do this. or you think I am feeling this way. And I just repeat it back, repeat it back, repeat it back. I find that for me, it 
just calms me right down because I'm like giving it back to him and it calms him down. And oftentimes the conversation just kind of goes, wah, wah, it doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, okay. It just works. So, so I just want to point out that what we're describing, and I don't want people to feel overwhelmed or intimidated by this because we're throwing a lot of things at you right now. And so what I just want to really clarify here is that the reason that we can even talk about this is because we're presuming that you start with the basics. And as time goes on, you add combinations of tools. Okay. So you start out with your data collection that you're describing and speaking in I statements and taking it from a very kind of non-judgmental calm place. And then it still could go off the rails. And so at a later date, when you have your listening skills piece of aspect and tool set, you then say, okay, you know, this doesn't seem, you seem to be having a reaction. Tell me what's most upsetting about what I just said. And then you you mirror it back. And I just want you to know, I want to put a really big plug in for the summary that I use when I'm doing it so that you take all of the different lines that you just mirrored and you tell the person back. So it sounds like what you just said to me is that you feel like I'm accusing you of getting high and that really you think that I'm saying to you that you're relapsing and that you don't trust me and whatever. And you're mirroring the whole thing back. You're giving them the whole story back that they said. And then you get to do the validation piece, which is my piece of this, which is, well, it makes sense that if you feel like I'm accusing you of being high, that that would be very upsetting to you. That makes sense to me. And you've just done this other piece flowing in from this terrible confrontation that they feel, even if you're not doing it, to you just backed it down and de-escalated it. And then you're actually listening to them. So so all of these tools have their roles in it. And the more you practice the tools individually, the more you could flex and come back with a set of tools as opposed to just one tool. And that's that's the goal here, because if you could hear this conversation, you hear that it goes from, oh, I'm just talking about what I noticed to me actually listening to you. And all of this is about connection. All of this is about really inc- improving the relationship. And that's the goal. Yeah. And the goal takes a little while to acquire and it takes what you're saying. It takes practice. So my example earlier of the person coming home and then the next day having a conversation around treatment that's somebody that's a bit mature in our program, right? That, that's been through three, four weeks of learning some of these, especially the communication skills and the behavioral skills and has been practicing some and is, you know, willing to sit down with the person and try it. It might not be the first thing to try. That's kind of, that's like the, you know, uh, you know, the intermediate to advanced stages. And if you can hold out for four or five weeks and get a few of these communication skills under your belt, you too can do one of these engaging into, into a healthy activity or into treatment. But we would want you to wait until until you, you've got some of the kinks out of it, because it's not easy to take yourself out of this equation and not take it personally when it is darts and it is personal the way they're making it sound. And you have to be in this observing. I always think curious when I think Kayla. Kayla taught us so long ago, just stay curious, observe, curious. Why is that? I see I did that. I see it upset you. You know, why is that? And and just the curiosity helps so much get yourself off you because 
I know when I'm confronted, I have a very strong adolescent response that is just completely ineffective. And, you know, I double down and then we're off to the races. And so I've learned to do these skills, but I still don't do them for very long. So the, the last thing I think we might bring in as a skill is keep it short and brief. Yeah. And don't try and spend the 30 minutes talking on your first shot because you will last 30 seconds and then you will revert back to doubling down and, and adding a, acting like an adolescent, which in my case is a known deal. But so to be careful, to be conscious that um, this takes a little while to be easy on yourselves, try it on people that aren't huffing and puffing at you to start for sure. And because you brought up this idea of what the goal is, and I think that's a really important piece. Because oftentimes when we start using the craft skills, the goal originally may be in in the family member's mind or the ally's mind, their loved one's behavior has to change. Oftentimes that's the goal. And it's like, no, the goal is your behavior changes. And if you have just tried a skill you have been, I, and I don't like the success failure thing, but you are making progress and pat yourself on the back. If you're just trying out the skill and being persistent and sticking with it, you are making progress. This is a, and I put it in quotes, success. And that's the goal, not your loved one's behavior. The, the goal, and kind of like what Kayla said also, and I strongly, strongly believe this, it's relationship building. Yes. Craft was designed to really move your loved one into recovery, into treatment, into, into wellness, right? So we're not doing this for the sake of doing it. And we're not asking you to, yeah, we are asking you to do it forever, but you don't need to do it for long before you can get some, some of these engagement skills under your belt. And you can do this and you can do it for big things or little things or the trash getting thrown out on Thursdays or the you know, what, whatever you want to do this, these are ways of communicating that don't escalate, that de-escalate and that get you to a yes. This is how two thirds of families that do craft get a loved one to engage into treatment. It's because we have softened and we've partnered and we're not so scary when we say, Hey, can we have a talk? You know, it's like, and so it's, it becomes more natural to talk about this real elephant in the room. It's just not so loaded. I know, Lori, you talk to your son all the time about addiction, about treatment, about his life, about what's going on with him. And it's natural. It's easy. And you've developed that over, over time. And anybody can have that. I mean, you have your challenges. We have our own difficulties and we have our loved ones who are not well now or very fragile now. And so it's a process. But you, you get to see so quickly the benefits, how it can work by just the timing of it, by a few chosen words about biting your tongue in the right moments, and then getting in and out of a conversation without, without fireworks. It's absolutely possible. And it's wonderful when it happens. Okay, Kayla. So it's funny because I just want to add one more thing and then I'm going to tell you, which is that I have my daughter who's 18 now and she says to me, oh, you clearly have your opinion and you don't listen to me. So I just want, you know, people are like, oh, Kayla, listen, 
Now, my daughter is my biggest teacher. And so I was like, I listened to her and I said, oh, I could see that. <laughs> and so I just want to add humility and the ability to apologize and back it up as one of my primary tools. Because as soon as I do that, there's an opening. It's such a simple thing to do as opposed to me being defensive. And, and it really is actually very good feedback. So I want, I just want to put out that actually observing ourselves, being open, being willing to say, yes, you're right. You know, that I did not do that well is a part of the toolbox. So basically what we're saying is go to module four. If you don't know what we're talking about, the Allies and Recovery site, the website has module four, which really breaks us down in its own way. But what we're talking about is how to shift from being in somebody's face to having an op more open conversation that they're more likely to actually hear. And even if they're not, you're going to be working on this set of skills that improves the, your ability to communicate, improves your ability to self-soothe, takes the heat out of conversation so that you're actually engaging in a way that the relationship improves. And so you become part of the treatment process and not something that the person is rebelling against and fighting with. And that's a huge aspect of the dynamics that we're talking about. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kayla. Thank you so much, Dominique. And we will talk again next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.